Well, how are we doing, church? Good? Are you ready for this? You look nervous. You should be. It's going to get weird. All right, here we go. Uh, if you got your Bible, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6 and 7. Proverbs chapter 6 and 7. I'm going to start in Matthew 5, but just go to Proverbs 6 and 7. If you just open your Bible right to the middle, you'll be really close. Um, if you hit Psalm, take a right, and you'll be in Proverbs. Proverbs 6 and 7 is where we'll spend the majority of our time. Um, but again, I'm going to do a few few verses out of Proverbs 5, first and foremost. Uh, today, we are talking about lust. It seems to be something that, um, you know, our culture struggles with like crazy. I read the prayer cards. I know this is a big deal, and so we're going to dig right in. If you're easily offended, this probably won't be your church, okay? If this is your first time, at least give it one more week, but if you don't like today, you're just probably not going to like it at all. I understand. I've already been told by a few people over the weekend that they're not going to come here anymore, and there are lots of great churches in Jacksonville that, that they might fit in better, and that's fine. But we're going to deal, deal with this head-on because the enemy's taking us head-on with it, and so we're just going to dig right in. Um, and and that, the, the girl in the video, I think she had a great definition of lust, that lust is a perversion of love. The love that lust is taking something that's good and twisting it into something that's not. And so um, sex in general is... People kind of see it in one of three different categories. Some people, and this is a lot of folks in our culture, see sex as a God. It's like everything they do has to do with sex, and they treat it like a God, like it's the most important thing in their world. And that's really a twist and a perversion. Some people uh, treat sex like it's gross, and that's really a shame. It really is. It's kind of some leftover Puritanism, maybe, that, that sex is gross, and you just have to endure it for the sake of babies. Oh, bless their heart. Okay, that's so sad. Because the truth is, is that sex is a gift, I mean, think about this. If you want to know if we serve a good God or not, y'all, he invented sex. Like, in creation, he thought, oh, I've got an idea. And the angels were like, is it another rainbow? No, it's better than a rainbow, okay? (laughs) And he made it up. And he invented sex not only for procreation, yes and amen, the kids are a blessing, but also for recreation. That, that sex was God's idea, that sex is not a perversion of the devil. It's not like after creation when God wasn't paying attention one day in the garden and the enemy came in and said, hey, I'll give you that and you those. Go for it. And it run out. No. God invented it. It was his idea. Sex is his idea. He could have decided to add children to the world in any way he wanted to, right? Come together, make a sandwich, make a baby. I mean, whatever. But he decided that sex would equal children, and that was his idea. Sex is good. And then, and it went super great. You know, the first commandment in the Bible is be fruitful and multiply. Can I get an amen? You hear that? Amen. Really deep amen. Good job. And it went super awesome for like one page, and then sin under the world, and then the twist happened. The twist. And um, man, this is something that, that our culture deals with like crazy. Did you know that that the pornography business will make over $3 billion this year in America. The pornography business this year will do more business than the NFL, Major League Baseball, uh, and, and the NBA combined. That the pornography industry will make more money than ABC, CBS, and, and NBC combined. That 80% of men uh, actively participate in pornography. And that the, growing, the, the fastest growing section of pornography consumers are young women. And so this is an issue that, de- that, that we all deal with, that every single one of us deal with. And it's serious. It's very, very serious business. And so um, one of the things that I just want you to know, uh, as I teach this, um, I, I'm really going to teach it from a male perspective, and here's why. I don't know if you know this. I've been a man my whole life. So <laughs> women, you, there's one part in here for you that you're going to hate, and, uh, and then 
but most of it, I'm just teaching it from my perspective. But, but 1122 girls, you're so smart. I just need you to make the transferable principles and apply it and just understand it. I know I'm teaching it from a, and, and not just a guy, but 40-year-old man who's been married for 14 years. And so it really is, as I step on your toes and if I say offensive things, and, and, and I know that I will, it's just how it happens. Just please know this. The reason that I'm going to be so upfront and just shoot it straight is because as I pour my heart over the prayer cards every week, I would say about half of them have to do with the implications and ramifications of sexual immorality. And the Bible, <clears throat> the Bible in 1 Corinthians 6, we'll see this later, it says flee sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is anything outside of God's design for, for sex. And sex is a gift from God between married people. And marriage is between a man and a woman. And anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And, and the Greek word is porneo. You can see the root word where we get pornography from. The, the Greek word is porneo. And it's like a junk drawer. It's like a junk drawer that anything that's outside of God's design for you sexually, which is, which is sex between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage, anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And so anything outside of that, we don't identify one as worse than the other, but anything out of that, outside of that is sin. And the reason I'm not going to list for you, like, all right, so here are the 22 things that are sexually immoral, because there's some freak out here that'd be something on your list that wasn't on my list. You'd be like, oh, I'm clean on this one. No, it's just a junk drawer. All those things are sexual immorality, and that's what we're going to walk through. So before we do, I want to pray, and then we're going to dig in, starting in Matthew chapter 5. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven. Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the shed blood of Jesus, and by the love of the Father, God, would you let no corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth, but only that which is edifying for the building up of the needs of the hearer. And God, we need to hear you on this one. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do what you do? Would the word of God go out? And we know that it never goes out in vain. But God, would your word do what your word does? By the power of the Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> All right, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he decides to take a portion of that and to deal with lust. <clears throat> and here's what he says. This is Matthew 5, 27. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He's quoting the seventh commandment. And all the faithfully married men there went, whew, okay, I'm good on this one. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And all the men listening went, dang it. Like everyone? Everyone. Like if we've just looked and lusted, uh-huh. It's like we've already committed adultery. Yeah. It's that big a deal. Are you sure, Jesus? I'm pretty sure. That's how it is. I make up the rules and that's it. Verse 29. It gets worse. Listen to this. This is like, it's crazy. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. <clears throat> For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Can you imagine if you were actually there in the crowd when he's teaching this? You'd be like, what happened to gentle Jesus? Remember when he was like petting sheep and playing with kids and saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest for your soul. I like that Jesus better. 
Because this come to me, all who is looking at porn, and I'll gouge your eye out and won't even let you keep it. I'm going to throw it away. Jesus, isn't that a little bit extreme? I mean, that's extreme. Now, I don't care how literal and fundamentalist you are in your interpretation of the scriptures. We all are hoping he's not being literal here. And I know you believe that he's not being literal. You know how I know? Because you can see me. (laughs) Or we'll try this. Hey. And if you wave back, then you don't believe this is literal. But here's what he's saying. This is a big deal. That lust equals adultery. And lust and adultery are a big deal. It's bigger than you think. You just think it's a picture. It's actually a pathway. You just think it's an event. It's not just an event. It's a way of life. You think, you think that it's just something that you do that's only physical. And what I'm trying to tell you is that lust and adultery has, a, has an implication on your soul and has eternal implications. This is a big, big deal. That lust, I know you've heard all those stupid things about just window shopping or you can look at the menu and you don't have to order and all those dumb people made those sayings up. But this is a big, big deal. It's so big that it would be a better idea for you to gouge out your eyeball and you don't even get to keep it and throw it away than it would to go down the path of lust and adultery and sexual immorality. Well, gosh, Jesus, it seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? So we're going to bounce back to Proverbs chapter 6 and 7 because it unpacks in a way that everybody there would have understand the dangers of adultery. And Jesus just equates lust in your heart or lustful intent with adultery. So Proverbs chapter 6 beginning in verse 20. If you've got one of the Bibles that are, it's right there in front of you. And listen, I would encourage you to get like a Bible and open it up and look because I want you to underline and take notes and then take it home with you and apply this for the rest of your life. Above this, if you've got a Bible that has the little headings, it says warning against adultery. And again, Jesus just equated lust with adultery. So this would be warning against lust too. This is how you prevent yourself from falling in this deadly sin of lust. And so verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now let's just be honest. If we would just do that, we wouldn't even have to have all the rest of the commentary, right? If you just do what your mom and daddy taught you to do. If you just date who they said date and don't date who they said don't date and and watch what they said watch and don't look at what they said don't look at, then we would be fine, but none of us do that, so that's why there's all these verses. Verse 21, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. Underline that, way of life. See, because here's the problem. What the, it's like a dad here is trying to teach his son. He's like, son, I'm trying to help you here. But what you've got to understand is I'm trying to teach you a way of life. You see, you think they're just pictures. They're not just pictures. It's a pathway and it goes somewhere. You think it's just an event. Like, okay, you know what? I, I got up, I went to school, I took a class, I had lunch, I had sex, then I went back to the gym, I worked out. And you think that that's just an event like all the other events in your life, but you don't understand. It's not an event. It's a pathway that leads somewhere. It's a lifestyle that goes somewhere. And so, son, what you've got to understand is I am going to help you how to live a lifestyle that also leads somewhere. But it leads somewhere where you want to go. It leads somewhere that is fulfilling. It leads somewhere where you can find intimacy 
It leads somewhere that you want to be at, but the pathway of lust and adultery also, it also leads somewhere. And so that's what he's saying here, that this is a lifestyle. That, that, those, that sexual immorality is not a snapshot, but it is a lifestyle and it goes somewhere. <clears throat> For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are a way of life, verse 24, to preserve you from the evil woman. Some of you know her, you dated her, right? From the smooth tongue of the adulteress. He's kind of saying, hey, look, son, it's not going to be a lot of fun now. But, but there will be fulfillment later. And do not trade in the temporary pleasure for the forever for f- fulfillment. Verse 25. It says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Which normally, gentlemen, I don't know about you. It's not the eyelashes that are typically the capturing part. But... What he's saying is there's a lot of like winking and blinking and flirting is what he's saying. And essentially what he's saying is um, don't let your feelings, your desires, your hormones be the Lord of your life. But get on a pathway or a lifestyle that that shows that that Jesus is the Lord of your life. It's why I say over and over and over here that I don't care about your feelings. It's not that I don't care that you have feelings. Actually, I would like for your feelings to be lined up with the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And your feelings are going to tell you all kinds of things. Your hormones, our hormones are going to tell us all kinds of things. But when we surrender our life to the Lordship of Christ, we surrender it all to Him. We surrender our hormones, our desires, our orientation, our wants. All of those things are not our Lord anymore. But Jesus Christ is our Lord. All of those things have been put to death and we have been brought into a new life with Jesus sitting on the throne of our hearts and not our hormones and our desires. And that's a part of what he's saying here. Verse 26, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. In other words, you commit adultery, your wife will kill you. That's what he's saying. Can I get an amen? Hear that very high-pitched amen? Kind of cynical, amen, all right? So a part of what he is saying is, yeah, your wife will kill you. She'll hunt you down like a dog and kill you, all right? But it's not just that. If you begin to think of lust and adultery as a pathway and not just an event, then what he's saying is it's a, the price right now doesn't cost you a whole lot. You can get a prostitute for a, for a loaf of bread, price of a loaf of bread. But the long-term cost, the long-term implications can be catastrophic. I mean, it costs you almost nothing to sit down and log on to a website. But the implications long-term are, a, are an exponentially more expensive than you're paying to paying attention to right now. It could cost you your marriage. It could cost you your future marriage. It could cost you your moral authority with your children. It could cost you your reputation. And not to mention the cost that it has on the girl that you're looking at. I mean, do you know that the girl that you're looking at, you know, when you sit down to look at the picture of a girl, do you know that she's someone's daughter too? And by doing that, it, it doesn't feel like it costs you much, right? It's just pictures. It's just a movie. It's not that big a deal. I'm just looking. I have an appetite. It needs to be fed. I'm going to feed it here. And did you even realize that you're participating and making possible probably the number one most atrocious thing in humanity right now, which is human trafficking? And you say, I'll be a, will- I'll be a willing participant. So you didn't even think about those kind of costs. What that, what that individual girl that Christ died for on the cross is going through and has to go through. And she's probably been abused and probably addicted to drugs. And she has no idea how valuable she is. And you're helping her not know that for the price of a loaf of bread. 
the implications are so much bigger than you and your laptop. And so that's a part of what he's saying here. The price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. The results can be catastrophic. Now, verses 27 and 28, he's going to ask these two questions. <clears throat> and if you just look at the questions in the Bible, you, you, the, the answers are obvious. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Uh-uh. Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Well, of course not. But when you're in that moment of lust, pornography, sexual immorality, fornication, whatever you want to call it, sex before marriage, sex with somebody that's not your spouse, an emotional affair, whatever you want to call it. Let me tell you the problem with us, dudes, every man in here. If I were to come to you and say, um, hey, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? You go, uh-huh. Yeah, I can. Yeah. See, I know I got a wife and I got a little something on the side, but I can manage the circumstances here. I can manage this. I can handle this. You know what? I can look at pornography alone, you know, in some corner of my house and then lie to my wife and I can still pursue my wife and I can handle both. I got this. That, that I can play with fire, but I won't get burned. But what about every other man that's walked down this road and every single one of them have not been able to take the fire and hold it close to their chest and their clothes not get burned? They go, well, I don't know, but I'm Superman. I got this. I go, no, you don't got this. See, girls, you're going to have a hard time understanding this, all right? I know we're simple, but um, maybe you've heard this before, that men, men think like waffles and women like spaghetti. You ever heard that? So women think like spaghetti noodles. It's all intertwined and woven in there together, and you can't, like, differentiate one thought from the other. And it's why my wife can be laying in bed about to go to sleep, and there's, there's a dirty dish in the dishwasher or in the sink. She's, she can't sleep because that bothers her. I know it's crazy, isn't it? So she thinks like spaghetti. It's all like interwoven. But a man thinks like waffles, you know, a bunch of little compartments. So I could be laying in the bed about to go to sleep and go, I think I smell fire. I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'm tired. And go to sleep. No problem. <laughs> or, <clears throat> or it's like when you're on your computer, um, every website that you have open, ladies, it's like all of yours are open at one time, you know, and they all impact the others, but not men. We can minimize them all and just bring up the one we're dealing with. And so we can go to church and sing to Jesus and read our Bible and then later in the week just minimize that and then try to bring up a pornography. But then I'm going to deal with this and then minimize that and then bring up our family and we can try to compartmentalize that. It's why he asked this question. The implication is I know you think you can play with fire and you won't get burned, but that's impossible. And you're like, oh, you don't know me. This is different. This is different. I got this. I can manage the implications. I can manage the outcomes. I'm going to be the first man in human history that as a single man, I'm going to feed my appetite with pornography. But the day I say I do, I'm going to take all of that, all that pornography was teaching me, which what it teaches you is this, is that a real body's not enough, one body's not enough, and your wife's body won't be enough. But the day I get married, something magical is going to happen when she walks that aisle, down that aisle, and I say I do, and I'm going to take all of that, and then I'm going to say to you, you are more than enough for me, baby. Except for my whole life, I've been training myself to know that, that a real body's not enough, and that one body's not enough, and that your body's not enough. And as you get older, they'll never get older. And I'm going to be the guy that can manage that. And so Solomon goes, man, you think you can take fire and hold it close to your chest and it won't burn your clothes? Uh-huh. Mm-mm. Can't do it. Or you think you can walk on hot coals and not be scorched? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. 
You think you can start walking down the pathway of lust and manage the circumstances. Mm -mm. So did everybody else that's in a little crispy ball of fire over here at the end of the path too. They all thought they could manage it too. Verse 29, so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. And this doesn't mean like God will get you. He doesn't even have to because you're getting you. He'll just let you walk down the road. Verse 30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he'll pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. He's saying, hey, what we're talking about here with lust and adultery, it's worse than even a thief being caught. Verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. So if, you, if you are following down this path of lust or adultery, the Bible would say you're, you're dumb. You lack sense. You think that you can handle this, and I'm telling you, it's too big. You can't handle this. He who does it destroys himself, that you're destroying your marriage. You're destroying the intimacy in your marriage. Do you get this? You can't simultaneously pursue pornography and pursue your wife because either you got to lie to her about it and say, no, I don't look at that stuff, and keep it on the side, and you can't, you can't simultaneously cultivate an intimacy or an environment of intimacy while you're lying to her. That's impossible. Or if she knows it's crushing her and it's killing her. She's so precious. The Bible says husbands live with your wives as the weaker vessel. That women, that doesn't mean you're weak, all right? Every husband with children has seen you crank out a kid, and you go, whoa, you're tough, all right? We got that. But your husband ought to be able to beat you in an arm wrestling match. If they can't, fellas, seriously, work out, okay? <laughs> but what that word weaker means, it doesn't mean like less than strong. It means delicate. You have this delicate woman. No matter how smart and successful and tough she is, she's so delicate. And God decided that he was going to put her in your house. And you were supposed to create this environment where she could be the best version of her. And if you are actively looking at pornography, you're not being delicate. You're crushing her soul. For the rest of her life, she feels like she has to compete with the impossible. With, with multiple people that never age, that do whatever you say do with the click of a button. And she'll never be able to keep up. And it's crushing her soul. You see, you're destroying you, and you're destroying your marriage, and you're destroying the girl's life of the pictures that you're looking at, and you're destroying your relationship with the kids, your kids. You're destroying your, your moral authority with them, and you're destroying your reputation, and you're destroying and defaming the name of Jesus. And you thought, I thought I was just looking at pictures. Now, you weren't looking at pictures. You were on a path of destruction. Verse 33 <clears throat> He will get wounds and dishonor. This is you, all of us that walk down the path of lust. He will get wounds and dishonor. His disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious. This is the guy whose wife this man had an adulterous relationship with. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will, not accept, he will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Then you shift into chapter 7. <clears throat> In the beginning of chapter 7, he's just going to repeat the warning. This is how big it is again. In chapter 7, he says, My son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight, your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth talk. In other words, he's like, listen, warning, 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 son. 
Warning, round two, here comes the warning again. If the guy that wrote this was standing right here, he would say, download the podcast and listen to it every single week. Listen to it on the way to work. Listen to it on the way back from work. Memorize it. Memorize the scriptures. Listen to it over and over and over again. Why? Because it's dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. And then what the writer here is going to do, now he's going to give an illustration. The illustration that he's going to give is there's an older guy, like on the balcony of his apartment, looking down into the street, and he's going to see a younger guy begin to walk down the pathway of lust. There's, there's really two implications of the illustration that he's going to give from verse 6 to the end of the chapter, and it's this. One is that it's a pathway, it's not an event. It's a pathway, it's not an event. No matter what kind of sexual immorality that it is, no matter what it is, that when you begin to walk down that road, it's a pathway. It's not an event. Sex is not just physical. That's the lie that the world has been teaching us. And here's the thing. Husbands, you want your wife to believe it's not just physical, don't you? You want your daughter to believe it's not just physical, don't you? That it's precious. And so the Hebrew word is dode, which means a mingling of the souls. And so there's something different here. It's not just physical. And so sexual immorality, lust, adultery, any of those things, it's a pathway. And then secondly, it leads somewhere that's a bigger deal than you thought. And so here's his illustration. Verse 6, For at the window of my house I have looked through the lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Now, why does this cat lack sense? Because he's a young man. Listen, young men, you lack sense. Now, it's not your fault. It's just because you're a young man. It just kind of comes with the territory. Look, you're flexible, and you're strong, and you lack sense. One day you'll outgrow the lack sense part, I hope, but you don't have enough life experience. You might be sensible for a young man, but you still lack sense. What the old guy looking out of the window, he's got experience. By the way, this is why in disciple groups, we don't have like age-graded disciple groups for adults. Because I hear it all the time. Guys will say, hey, why don't we have disciple groups just for 20-year-olds? Here's why. That is a lot of concentrated ignorance in one room trying to tell each other how to live. You understand? And so we want to mix it all up. The Bible says that older men should teach younger men and older women should teach younger women, okay? So that's why we want to mix it up. Listen, if you're older, we need you in disciple group, and you may never learn one thing about being a Christian. But you might need to be in there just so you can be like the old guy up there going, "Uh uh-oh, buddy, you lack sense. See, this young man, because he just hasn't had the experience yet, he lacks sense. And so, you know what? From my point of view, I see so many people that treat dating like a sport, that buy into the lies of this world. And I'm going, whoa, 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 man, you lack sense. You lack this. What you're about to do, it goes somewhere. And so look look what happens to the the senseless young man, verse 8. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. And this is where everything changes. This is where everything changes. You see, here's the thing. In every kind of sexually immoral, catastrophic event that you've ever heard about or read about, there was some point where some guy or girl was walking down the road and they were on the right path. And then they get to a corner. They get to a corner and they decide, "Uh uh-oh, 
I think I'm going to turn this corner. And in that turn, they make a directional change, and this new path, this new direction leads somewhere. Now, here's the problem, especially if you're a young man that lacks sense. If in that moment I were to jump into your way and go, whoa, 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 Hoss, you don't want to go down this road. This road leads somewhere that you don't want to end up, okay? For 21 years in ministry, I've seen brother after brother after brother after brother walk down this road. And I know you think you can walk on hot coals and not burn your feet, but just trust me. So far in human history, nobody's been able to do this, and you're not going to be able to either. And that's when, the, especially like the, you know, new 1122 Christian goes, oh, well, wait a minute, you legalist. All right, this is a church for all people, and I'm one of the all people, and I'm going to walk down to some more all people that are at the end of this road. And I've looked through my whole Bible, and I don't see one verse in here where it says, thou shalt not walketh down the road if. And so what are you doing trying to impose your own, your own rules on me? And I would say, well, here's what I'm trying to do, man. For your own well-being, what I'm trying to do is say, this is a path. This is a path. It goes somewhere. And way up here, while it's easy to turn around, why don't you go ahead and take two more steps and get back on the path that you were heading on. You see, every single moral failure, particularly those that sin sexually, there was some point where somebody made a turn. They made a turn. And they didn't do anything wrong yet. See, he hadn't sinned yet. All he's done is taken one turn down the road. Is it a sin to walk down the road? No. It's just dumb, and it leads somewhere. And so passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is not an accident. You get this? He's, he's intentionally walking into slippery places. My daddy used to say, nothing good happens after midnight. The only good things after midnight, only people who are up are pimps and vampires, what you say. You don't want to be either one of those, so come on. So he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Girls, this is your part. Now, let me just tell you this. I could go for the cheap applause and it would make me feel awesome, but I don't want anybody to clap or say amen or nothing. I just want you to sit and, and receive this. And I've already been warned that I shouldn't say this. There's some people that said they're not gonna come to our church anymore because I said this and God bless them. I hope, I hope God takes them exactly where they need to go. And, and so I'm just going to say it and sting, and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. It says right here, it says, uh, uh, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Girls, don't dress like a prostitute. See, what prostitutes do is they try to accentuate what they want to sell. And when you get dressed, you get to determine what you want to accentuate. And what I hope you learned last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so you're, you're too valuable to dress that way. You're too valuable to dress that way. When you try to accentuate the things that aren't like your eyes and your face, then you are accentuating the wrong thing. And listen, I know I have no right to give you fashion advice. Look at me. I wear the same thing every week. Gretchen dresses me. You know, I get it. I know I'm not hip. And I know the pushback is always, yeah, but this is, this is what's in style and this is what the stores are selling. Well, look, my grandma don't look that way. Shop at her stores. They have stores. I'm just saying. It's not, and this isn't like a criticism, okay? You look amazing. You really do. We probably have the best looking church in the history of church. Probably do. But that's not the point. The point is <clears throat> that you are too valuable. You're a daughter of the king. You should dress like that. 
All right? And I know stuff's in style and, and all that. Okay, whatever. But we don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so you're too valuable. You have some things in your home, some just, some just physical articles in your home, and you treat them with such care, and you don't treat your body with that much care. Nobody should get to see that except one day your husband. And so, girls, I, I, hope, you hear, I hope you hear it from my heart. I don't want my daughter to dress like that. And I want you to be valued. I want you to be valued. And so you're too valuable to have everybody's attention be from here down. And here's the other thing, too. Um, some of you come up to me and say, you know what? I dated that guy, and he was a jerk. And I dated that guy, and he was a jerk. And that guy, and he's a jerk. And you know why? You're using, in bass fishing, what's called jerk bait. There's a jerk bait. That's what it is. And when you go trolling with your body, you're going to have to keep him with your body. And the problem is, is if you got him with this and you're trying to keep him with this, you can't. You know why? Time and gravity is not on your side. And if that's what he was attracted to, then he's going to, that jerk's going to go somewhere else later. And so why don't you begin to value yourself and dress in such a way that it focuses him right there so that he can get to know you and then, and then you can be in that kind of relationship. I hope you hear my heart there. Okay? Now... Here's the other thing, too. Um, really, two more things. The older you are, the more you want to clap and say amen right now. But listen, older women. Now, the, I'm not going to give a number because the Bible doesn't get a num- give a number. But you're older than somebody. And if you're thinking, am I in the older? Yeah, you've been there for a while, okay? That's just how it is. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're like out of college and up, how about this? How, older women. The Bible says older women should teach the younger women. So how about instead of being a critic that you would be a coach and that you would pour into the girls of our church and they would know that they are not their own, they're bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. So if you're an older woman, again, if you're like out of college and up and you're not in a discipling relationship with some younger women in our church, then I need you to step up. Quit being a critic because a lot of times your criticism comes from a place of jealousy. And I need you to surrender that and I need you to get involved in their lives and go, oh, darling, oh, goodness, yeah, you look amazing. I used to look that way too. Okay, now, you're almost done getting dressed, okay? Let's keep going, okay? But like from a point where you're really caring for somebody and not being critical. And then lastly, and the men won't, the men won't even help me here until the very end, but listen, girls, if you're a Christian, listen, if you're not a Christian, your body is sacred. If you're a Christian, your body's a temple, temple of the Holy Spirit. And so listen, and this is really just for Christian girls. If you're a Christian, um, can you help a brother out? We need your help. We need your help. And so um, we want to flee sexual immorality. And so we need you to help us flee sexual immorality and not cause us to, to flirt with sexual immorality. Now, this is our problem. This is not your problem. This is our problem. But if you began to see every man in here as your brother that you were trying to help, instead of kind of an overplay of your insecurity and trying to get the attention that you really, you really don't need, it would help us. And so here at the Church of 1122, here's our motto, that, that modest is hottest. Modest is hottest. And if you've ever like stood there and thought, oh, yeah, then just modest is hottest. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. Can I get an amen from the men? Amen. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. Where was I? Um, All right. Still talking about the woman. Verse 11. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street. Now in the market. And at every corner she lies in wait. That's like to ambush him. Verse 13. 
She seizes him and kisses him with bold face. She says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. In other words, she's saying, I went to the temple. I got my sin bucket all empty, so I'm ready to fill it back up. At the end of every service, Pastor Joby says, come down to the altar if you want to pray and confess. So here's what we can do. We can load up our sin over the weekend, and then when we go to 1122, we'll go down to the altar, and we'll pray and confess, and we'll be clean again, okay? I've got this thing figured out, verse 15. And she says, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I have found you. And you know what the young man is thinking? Oh, this is all about me. Man, I thought I was a stud, but it's about time everybody else is beginning to recognize I'm a stud. I mean, I got dressed tonight in my skinny jeans and sprayed all my Axe body spray and walked down here. And then finally, she comes walking out going, you, you, you. And he's like, me, me, me. And what do you think the old man's thinking? You dummy. She don't even know your name, dude. She's been saying the same thing to every young man that's walked down here every single night. You're an idiot. And he's like, I'm not an idiot. No, this is unique. This situation is unique. We're going to be soulmates. Like, this is important. Like, I I know other people have, 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 have been killed by this, but not me. You see, my situation is unique. It's not unique. You're just like everybody else. You see, you think you're special. You're not that special. This is a trick. This is a trick. We live in a society that baits you down a road and then blames you for walking down it. We live in a society that says, live on the edge, live on the edge, live on the edge. And you think, I'm king of the world. And then you fall off and be like, what a dummy. Did you see him fall off the edge? And yet it's our society that says, come on, keep walking towards the edge and keep walking towards the edge. So he thinks it's all about him. The old guy knows he's an idiot, verse 16. And this is her talking still. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh. If this is a movie, like there's a Barry White song playing in the background, right? <laughs> with aloes and cinnamon, come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Man, what a misuse of the word love. You know, lust is about taking. Love is about serving, sacrificing. Love is about what can I do for you. Lust is about what can I take from you. You cannot look at pornography and it be about love because it's all about taking. You cannot commit adultery and it be about love because it's all about taking. You cannot have sex with somebody that's not your spouse and it be about love. Love in 1 Corinthians, the very first one is love is patient. You cannot simultaneously be impatient and love somebody. Because what you're saying is what I want is more important than our future or your future. And so this is a total twist of what love is. This is about lust. Come, let us take our fill of love till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's going on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon, he'll come home. She's saying, the conditions are perfect. I got it all set up, okay? You got no excuses. We can manage the outcome here. Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk, She compels him. She seduces him. He walks into a slippery place, and now this brother is about to fall down. Now, you notice it went from that first turn down her street. And look at the next verse. And then all at once, he follows her. Now, that's not true. He didn't follow her all at once. It was a series of decisions over time. But here's the thing. Every time you've heard of a moral catastrophe... 
or somebody fall into sexual immorality or somebody cheated and they got divorced or, or a pastor running off with a choir member or whatever it was. We have a tendency to go all at once. This is what happened. It wasn't all at once. Every single sexually immoral decision that's ever been made, including by all of us in the room, we could take it back to that point where we got to the street corner and instead of going the right way, we took our first step down that road. It's like if you watch somebody fall off a cliff, it would be like all at once. He just fell off the cliff, but it didn't happen all at once. He was taking, just look normal. Everything looked fine. He's walking towards the cliff, walking towards the cliff. And then there was that one step where finally, all at once, he went over the cliff. But it really happened way back there over a series. Do you see how this is a path? This isn't just pictures. This isn't just a a one-time event. All at once, he follows her as the ox goes to the slaughter. This is the gory part. To which the young man would say, no, I'm not like an ox going to the slaughter. I'm like a stud about to be awesome. That's what I'm doing. And the old man goes, no, you're not. You're you're like um, You're like an ox going to the slaughter. And I don't know, I mean, you know, you've never slaughtered an ox, but an ox on the way to the slaughter still looks like an ox, still feels like an ox, thinks he's tough as an ox. Look at me. I don't know why I'm in this line. I don't know what these cattle gates are for, but I am awesome. All the way to your lunch. That's what you are. Man, that's why you're so uh, um, attracted to pornography. Because she does what you want, when you want, however you want. She never says no. She never turns you down. You've got to have no game. And then death. Death of intimacy, death of a relationship. There's part of your soul that you feel like dies. And you don't think so. You think, no, I'm awesome. Or if you're in an adulterous relationship, you might feel awesome for a season, but you're on your way to a slaughter. Like an ox on his way to a slaughter. It says, or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. If you're not a hunter, you're not going to love this at all. So when you deer hunt, if you shoot one in the heart, they kick and they take off running, but it busts their rib cage so they know they've been hit and they panic and run for their lives and they don't go very far and then they pile up and expire. A couple years ago, I'm hunting in South Dakota and I shot one in the liver. It didn't go through the rib cage. And the arrow is going so fast and it's so sharp that it just it goes right through him. And, uh, you know, he kind of jumped. He's like, something bit me and just looked. He doesn't even realize he's been hit. And he just slowly walks away thinking, man, I ate some bad corn or something. My stomach feels awful. And then he goes and he lays down and now he's on my wall in my house. Okay? So. That's you. That's us. When we walk down the path of sexual immorality, sometimes it's a slow, painful death, and you don't even know the arrow has pierced you yet. Or, as a bird rushes into a snare, he doesn't know that it will cost him his life. See, you think it's going to be fun, and sin is super fun for a season. And then it can end in death. See, here's the crazy thing about temptation. It's tempting. Like when you get to that corner and you look down the road to her house, you think, ah, I know Pastor Joby said there's going to be death, but I can't see death at the end. I don't see a pile of bodies. All I see is that chick that looks like a prostitute. She looks awesome. She looks like I should invite her to church and spend some time with her. That's what it looks like. God, it looks so fun. Why wouldn't I go down that path? And what you don't realize is that it's a pathway that leads somewhere. 
And so what you think is just a few pictures, it ends up killing the intimacy in your marriage, killing it. It's you didn't know. You thought, ah, it's just going to be a few pictures. Even if you're single, you're just pre-killing your intimacy in your marriage. Or some of you think this is a big one. It's just a few lunches. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, I know I'm married and and she's not my wife, but we work together and we got a lot of work to do. And so we're just going to go share a meal together. And I mean, we got to work and we got to eat. And I can promise you there is not a Bible verse that says, thou shalt not eat at lunch with your assistant. There's not one in here. And so all we're going to do is we're going to go out, we're going to have some lunch. And you know what? But she really gets me too. I mean, my wife, the Bible does say that he, that, that living with a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. And every time I go home, all I hear is drip, drip. Drip, but man, when I'm with her and I tell jokes and I know they're not that good, but she laughs and she she makes me feel so. I mean, she kind of makes me come alive. And if we eat lunch, and, and I know it's not sin to eat lunch, and so what's the difference between lunch and dinner? I mean, it's just a time of day, right? Food's involved, sitting at a table. Well, it's not like we're gonna make out at the table, you know, at our restaurant. So we'll just move to dinner. And and if we're gonna if we're gonna eat dinner together, you know, sometimes you gotta work late. And what you think? What you think is just an innocent little lunch with somebody that's not your spouse? You know where that thing ends? That thing ends with you in a custody battle over your kids and some man you've never met before tucking your babies into bed. And you never went. That was never anybody's plan, ever. But you know where it started? It started with that one turn down the wrong road and then somebody said, hey, if you play with fire, you're gonna get burned. You think you can handle fire and hold it close to your chest and your clothes not get burned? And you go, I got this. And you don't got this. You're gonna get burned up like every other person that has walked down this road. Every single one of them. Or, this is a big one. You think, well, it's Friday night and I'm, you know, young and fun and so I'm gonna go out to the club with my friend and have a few friends and have a few drinks and, and just dance, because that's what we do. And you know what? I normally wouldn't dress this scandalous, but you know, it's not like I'm going to church. I'm just going to the club, and nobody from our church will be there. And then you show up, and you go, oh, wow, it's like our whole church is here. That's awesome. <laughs> that's kind of awesome, isn't it, for our church? And so there they are. And so what you think is just, you know, a short skirt, a few drinks, and some dancing, and then end up, you end up giving yourself to somebody, and you don't even really know them. And that is not, was not your intent. And you think, oh, no, here I am again. What is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? What's wrong with you is that you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You're too valuable for that. You're the daughter of a king, and the decision didn't happen when you got into his bedroom. The decision happened way back up here when you decided what you were going to do that night. And you you began to go down a path that led somewhere that you didn't want to go. You really didn't want to. And so this guy, it started way back there. Or, or some of you think, well, this doesn't apply to me because, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm, what I'm doing is not adultery. I mean, I'm in a committed dating relationship with my girlfriend or with my boyfriend. And, uh, you know, one day we might get married maybe. I mean, we've been dating for seven years, but still, one day we might. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, we just, we like to make out. And that's what we're going to do. Because, you know, you've got to test drive stuff before you buy it. And, you know, you've heard all that stuff, right? Guys, don't treat your girl like a used car, okay? And, and I've heard this too. I got, we need to know if we're sexually compatible. I've got terrible news for you. You're sexually compatible with like hundreds of thousands of people. You shouldn't marry them all, all right? And so what you do is you have sex and you're not married. 
And sex is for married people, not going to be married people. And, and then what, begins, what happens is you either damage a good relationship or prolong a bad one. That's what you do. And that was not your intention. That was not your intention. But you started down a path, and this is where it leads. Dead ox, dead stag, dead bird. And so 24 and following, he goes, okay, I told you straight up. <clears throat> now I'm giving you this illustration that if you go down the path of sexual immorality, it ends in a big pile of dead bodies. Now one more time, listen to me. I'm going to shoot you straight, son. And now, oh, sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Pay attention. If you didn't get it the first two times, here we go for number three. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. That's an important word. For many a victim has she laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol or hell going down to the chambers of death. You see, it's a pathway, and it always ends in death. James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way in James 1. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, and then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we go all the way back to the question that I would have asked Jesus in the first century when he's talking about gouging out your eyes and cutting off your hands. Hey, Jesus, why are you being so extreme? And Jesus would say, because this is extremely important. This is extremely, this is infinitely more important than what you realize. You thought you were just checking out some chick with your eyes. You have no idea that this is a heart problem. This is a gospel problem. This doesn't just impact you. It impacts her. It impacts her family. It impacts your family. It impacts your kids, your grandkids, your grandfamily, your spouse, your future spouse. It impacts your very soul. This is a big deal. So pay attention. Flee sexual immorality. Do whatever it takes. Here's the point. When the stakes are this high, you do whatever it takes to flee sexual immorality. Including gouging out your eyes, absolutely it's worth it. It'd be better for you to hobble blindly into the kingdom of heaven than to lose it over something temporary. When the stakes are this high, you do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. So in my world, in my world, I I am like a Pharisee when it comes to sexual immorality. I've got rules about the rules about the rules. Why? Because I don't want to flirt with sexual immorality. I want to flee from it. Flee from it. Every man in here needs to memorize Job 31.1. For I have made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustfully after a woman. Notice I did not have to look that one up. Why? Because I have made a covenant with my eyes. Now Job, think about this. The Bible says about Job, he was the holiest man alive in his time. He's the number one best guy in the whole world. And Job has to make a covenant with his eyes that he won't look lustfully after a woman. Why do you make covenants? Because you got a problem. I've never made a covenant that I wouldn't do black, hard heroin, black tar heroin. I can't even say it. Why? I don't even know what it is, okay? I don't know where to get it. I don't have a heroin addiction. I'm not going down that road. So every man in here needs to memorize that verse. And then when you need it, the Holy Spirit is gonna bring it right there. Because listen, we live at the beach. It's about to be summertime. You'll be in public. Some people don't even wear clothes here, right? You're like, oh, ma'am, you don't have on pants, and this is the frozen food section. <laughs> Seriously? So what do you do? I've made a covenant with my eyes. I'm going over here to where you get salads, all right? That I will not look lustfully after a woman. Or 1 Corinthians 6, 18, I put it in your notes. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits or outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Sexual sin is in its own category. 
All sin will keep you out of heaven. Jesus paid for all sin. That's the only thing sins have in common. That it's a different category. It's at a soul level. Okay? Flee every single person that's ever failed with sexual immorality, regardless of what it is, whether it's pornography or adultery or sex outside of marriage or whatever it is, it's because instead of fleeing, you flirted. And so I'm going to flee. I have some ridiculous rules in my life, ridiculous rules in my life. Why? Because I'm going to flee sexual immorality. So in my world, in my world, I'm just never alone with a woman. I don't travel together. I don't, I don't get in a car together. I don't, any of those kinds of things. And people will be like, come on, what is this, 1920s? What is wrong with you? I can tell you what's wrong with me. That I'm a wretched, black-hearted sinner saved by grace. And so I am going to flee, run away from sexual immorality. Do you know the Bible in Ephesians chapter 6 says to wrestle the devil? To stand firm against the devil? So man, if you walk out in the parking lot today and the devil's there, get him, wrestle him. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but wrestle against the principalities of evil. But you see a hot chick, then run back in here. Flee! Pray, run away. So it's crazy. My assistant Carly and I will have meetings, you know, some other place in town, some other church, and she gets in her car and I get in my car and we just kind of, all right, see you there. And spend twice as much money to take, you know, two tanks of gas and all that. But I don't care. I never travel alone. Everywhere I go, I've got somebody that goes with me, a guy that goes with me. You know why? You'll never hear. You'll never have to hear. Did you hear what Pastor Joby did on one of his trips? No, because I got accountability there. I can live above reproach. Nobody can accuse me of anything. And I know that just like so many other pastors, I could take a stupid step and walk down a road that I don't want to go down. And so it's that important. And some people will say, that's ridiculous. Okay, look, Jimmy cracks corn. I don't care. Why? Because I'm going to flee sexual immorality. It's just what I'm going to do. When we got in our house and, you know, we're moving in and we're setting up HBO and stuff, we turn all that stuff off. You know why? Because most of the movies I tend to like want me to flirt with sexual immorality. And so even when we're setting up our cable, now you guys get this, I'm into the Jesus thing, you know? I'm all in. I love him. I read my Bible, go to church a lot. And still, I'm taking that junk out of my, out of my house. And, and so we, we, we block all the stuff on my, on my TV get the remote, set it all up, say, all right, Gretchen, you put in the code. And she just kind of coded in tongues. We don't even have an interpreter. We don't know what our own code is, right? Why? Because when the stakes are this high, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I was doing a little bit of research for this. Did you know that this year, one pastor every day will leave the ministry due to sexual moral failure? Over 360 in America will fail sexually. Do you know that 50% of pastors' marriages end in divorce? 25 to 40% of pastors have had an extramarital affair since the beginning of their ministry. Do you realize what hangs in the balance? I mean, you know what hangs in the balance for me? First and foremost, my relationship with Jesus Christ, the last thing in the world I want to do is do something that would defame his name. My relationship with Gretchen Martin, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds what is good. Man, I found a good one. I don't want to screw that up. My precious little children, oh, I love them so much and they love me so much. I don't want to kill the moral authority I have in their life to help point them towards Jesus because of some temporary something that will lead in death. So you know what I do? I do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. For some of you that are addicted to pornography, I don't know if you know this, but people live for thousands of years without a smartphone. Destroy it. It's better than gouging out your eyes. Just burn everything you can look at. And it's worth it. 
It's worth it. It's worth it. So when it comes to sexual immorality, if you were God, what would you say to you? Be careful. Get close to the edge. Don't go over. Wear a condom. No. You'd say, flee! Run away! Do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. If the whole world thinks you're extreme, praise the Lord because you don't want to be normal. Because normal ends in a big pile of dead bodies at the end of the path. I don't want to go down that path. Wide are the gates that lead to death and destruction, but narrow is the way. And I want to go down that way. I want to go to that place. I want to, I want to walk down that way that has intimacy and fulfillment and forgiveness and a clean conscience. And I want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. If you try to do this thing from the outside in, you'll fail. And you'll fail. And you'll fail. And you fail. You can't do it on your own. You've got to abide in him and he in you. You've got to get close to Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit can live in here and give you the ability to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That when you flee, that means you turn your back, you run away from sin, and you've got to run somewhere. You've got to run to Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's not white-knuckling it and just stop looking at stuff. It's turn your back to that by the power of the Holy Spirit and you receive the invitation of Jesus and that's when he says come to me all you who are weary and heavy burden and I will give you rest for your soul so none of this works if you don't run to Jesus if you've never surrendered your life to Christ that means today for the very first time and if you're a Christian and you're struggling in this arena Jesus said that you're to daily deny yourself take up your cross and follow him that's a daily surrender but it starts some of you, not from the outside in, but from the inside out, for the very first time, you surrender your life to Jesus. Would you please bow your heads right where you are? If that's you and you would say, I'm ready to surrender. I've been the Lord of my own life. I don't like where it's going. For the first time today, I understand how high the stakes are. And today, I'm ready to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand? And your hand in the air doesn't save you. What Christ did on the cross saves you that you need his imputed righteousness to be able to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And those of you with your hands up, you pray a very simple prayer. You just admit that you're a sinner, that you've been the Lord of your own life. You believe in what Christ did on the cross to pay for your sin. You confess him as Lord, and the Bible says you are being saved. And now put your hands down. And now everybody, heads bowed, eye closed, eyes closed. And some of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, you would confess this is a struggle in my life. That lust is a struggle in my life and I am willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to flee sexual immorality because what hangs in the balance is so important. If you would say, I need help in this arena, would you raise your hand? Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for imputed righteousness that we are not called in our own power to do better, but we're called to surrender to you and then you in us can live out the fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray for redemption. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for a new manner of life. And God, I thank you, Jesus, that before you went into public ministry, you were a carpenter, and so you're good at rebuilding things. God, I pray that this will be the kind of church that brings you our broken lives and that, God, you will put them back together in Jesus' name. And, God, that's the name in which we pray. Amen. Hey, would you please stand? We respond every week. <coughs> Worship is a response. We respond to the gospel. If you're a regular here, we respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. We got offering boxes all the way around the room, giving kiosks back there. We respond by singing together.
And we respond by coming to the altar. Many of you need to come to the altar and say, Holy Spirit, I need help. I need help. I need help. I need help. I need to abide in you and you abide in me so that I can bear fruit. Let us respond.